You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Curtain up, theater people, and welcome to your program is your ticket coming to you from the Hell's Kitchen area of Midtown Manhattan, right in the middle of Broadway. My name is Sean Chandler, and I'll be your host. Your program is your ticket is a discussion of smaller theater works and the people and organizations that make it happen. As many of you know, and if you don't, let me explain it to you. Your program is your ticket is a helpful system where your program is literally your ticket to get into the theater in smaller, more intimate productions. It's these works we like to highlight, and it's our goal on this show to feature as many of these productions as possible while still discussing the biggies. I love theater and see as much as I can wherever I go. During the travels of the production of my husband and my play, At the Flash, I've met many wonderful people from all over the world in the theater community, and it is my honor to bring them on as guests to the show. Tonight's guest is smart, insightful, and crazy talented actor and playwright and a member of the 72nd Writers Gang, which is my writers group that I talk about a lot, Charlotte Aline. I'll be bringing Charlotte on in a few minutes, but first I'd like to take a moment or two to talk about one of the few awards and probably, arguably, the most prestigious that affects both Broadway and off-Broadway at the same time. Not always the case. That award is the Pulitzer Prize. Um, The Pulitzer Prizes were given out recently. I believe it was April 10th, a week and a half or so ago. And um, the Pulitzer Prize is awarded in the the category of drama, um, among other major literary categories and, 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 and others as well, for a distinguished play by an American playwright, preferably it's original in its source and dealing with American life. This year's winner was Sweat by Lynn Nottage. It was her second Pulitzer Prize, the first being for a play called Ruined back in 2009. I haven't seen Sweat, but I loved, loved Ruined. I actually saw it in L.A. at one of the Geffen theaters, and it was just so brilliant. Um, Going back to 2007, four of the ten winners have actually been works that ran in off-Broadway or regional theaters. And overall, within the whole entire competition, uh, nine musicals have won. So there's a little more variety, and they sort of keep their mind open in, in their selections for, uh, for, for that particular prize. Um, just to go back and, and uh, cap off a few here, uh, like I said, you had in 2017 Sweat by Lynn Nottage, which was a Broadway show. Before that, of course, Hamilton, which everyone knew was kind of a slam dunk, uh, a Broadway show. Before that, uh, Between Riverside and Crazy, which was an off-Broadway show. A uh, year before that, 2014, um, The Flick by Annie Baker, off-Broadway as well. Uh, before that, 2013, Disgraced, which was a Broadway show, which I loved. I love that show. 
2012, I never saw this, but I would love to read it. Water by the Spoonful, an off-Broadway show. 2011, Clybourne Park, which I saw in L.A., a Broadway show. Um, 2010, Next to Normal, a musical like Hamilton. You know, I probably could have said Hamilton's a musical, but I think everyone knows that at this point. That's alive. Um, uh, again, uh, Next to Normal in 2010, a musical and on Broadway. Uh, the year before that, Ruined, um, the play that I mentioned earlier, Lynn Nottage, her other play, which was off-Broadway. And then before that, August Osage County, which was a Broadway show. And so you can see they have uh, quite a bit of variety um, in, in their selection. And I, I would always encourage people, if they can, to go see the Pulitzers because they... Um, I think one of their uh, criterion is that the show has to really sort of edify the audience and make a statement and, and really focus on themes. And sometimes you don't get that. And that's that's what I look for when I'm when I'm seeing a show. So um, uh, maybe, you know, remember those. And, and if you uh, if you see a, a production come in your area, um, often these are shows, I mean, especially the older ones that are now being done in local theaters. Try to go see it because if anything, even if the, the acting is amateur, the direction, the actual uh, the, the text and the play is typically brilliant, in, in, in my opinion. Um, also, a little factoid, in Charlotte and my writers group, the 72nd Street Writers Gang, we have a Pulitzer Prize finalist, uh, Mr. John Marins, who was a finalist in, his, in, in the 1996 selections for his play Old Wicked Songs. Um, I've actually, well, we know John, and John is a hoot and a super nice guy, and I'm also... Uh, our, our good friends, the Margulies, um, uh, Howard and Ellen, uh, their Howard's brother, Donald Margulies, is a Pulitzer Prize winner for um, his play Dinner with Friends, which he uh, he took the prize in 2000. John's uh, a play, where he was a, a finalist, is called Old Wicked Songs. That was in 1996, and um, that year the musical Rent took the prize. So, anyways, um, so. There you go. I figured it was a, a, a good thing to talk about. Now, in my next show, or maybe the one after that, I'm not sure, um, I'm going to talk about the uh, Drama Desk Awards, which also feature selections from Broadway and off-Broadway as well. So that's the, those nominations just came out. But that's for another show. So um, there you go. Now, on to our guest. Um, uh, again, our guest is, is a young lady who I met in... Uh, my writers group, uh, 72nd Street Writers Gang, and um, she is, I think, 23 years old and just a writing genius. I mean, speaking of Pulitzers, I'm going to I'm going to see I'm fortunate enough to be able to hopefully see this this woman just win one award after another. Everything that I have read in of hers in the group has been uh, just, just it's just blown me away. So, um, anyways, let's bring her on. Um, please welcome mega talented actor and playwright Charlotte Aline. Hi, Charlotte. Welcome to your program. Is your ticket? Hi. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> it's it's my pleasure. Um, I remember also uh, when we did the um, uh, when we were reading your your first show that. Mm-hmm. That you, I, re, I remember when I came in, it's called the Summoning. Yes, and um, we read through it, and then we saw it in the production that you did in <laughs> over the winter time. Yes. And I think I said this to you in our last writers group. I was like, 
there are so many things that I just like read over and took for granted because we bring she bring we we bring in our pieces and then we just read through it as as not not actors usually as writers <laughs> that just popped up off of the script and onto the stage and it was just so amazing and in addition to that Charlotte comes from a showbiz family she's one of those people who's like proverbially born in a trunk <laughs> <laughs> yep both of my parents are actors and my father's all also playwright so I had no chance um, I was always going to be in the theater right so so you were born uh, between act one and act two mm-hmm. at intermission <laughs> right exactly yep <laughs> how fun well let's start talking about you first Great. tell us a little bit about yourself and your creative theater passion all right. Well, um, I'm actually we're in my my hometown neighborhood. I grew up in Hell's Kitchen, uh, Manhattan, and as mentioned, I'm from a theater family. So I sort of grew up around the theater. Grew up backstage. Actually, it's uh, funny that you mentioned Dinner with Friends uh, just now because that was one of the shows that uh, my mom was doing in um, the Ireton Theater or uh, River Rep. The- company at the Iverton Theater in Connecticut when I was a kid, and I remember accidentally memorizing the whole show because I had to listen to it so many times. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, spent a lot of time backstage as a kid. So I think um, I never really considered an alternate uh, career outside of theater, which uh, now it's too late. I've already um, paid for my degree in creative writing. So um, yeah, I grew up in New York, uh, always loved theater, saw a lot of shows, Lin-Manuel Miranda was my uh, substitute Spanish teacher in second grade. Um, So (laughs) shout out to Lin if you're listening. I assume you are. Go Hawks, (laughs) Hunter. Um, Yeah, so I I definitely grew up around theater, was always sort of awed and um, enchanted by the whole uh, business. Clearly, I didn't have a very uh, strong grasp on reality as a kid because I thought going into playwriting seemed like a solid career choice. And so did my parents. They were like, oh, writing, so much safer than acting. <laughs> um, but yeah, I went to Overland College for uh, creative writing, and I graduated almost two years ago now, which is scary to think about. <laughs> but now I'm back in the city um, pursuing playwriting um, and... Yeah, The Summoning is uh, my first full-length play, which had a developmental workshop production in January and is going to be going up at a She NYC Festival in July this summer. So um, I have to do some edits, but I'm (laughs) super excited about that. (laughs) That's great. Um, Now, I've seen you act. I've also, uh, obviously, I've read your your writing. do, do you do anything else? Do you direct? Do you? I, I know that you've worked on your parents' productions, so you stage manage <laughs> and, and help produce and all of that. Um, have you directed as well? Not much, not really. Um, certainly not in a professional capacity. I haven't really stage managed in a professional capacity either. It's mostly just sort of I've done some uh, some ASMing to get the job done with um, my family's theater company, Fat Night Theater. Fat Night with a K, Theater with an R-E, because um, <laughs> we're fancy. But um, yeah, I haven't done much directing. It's something that I might be interested in in the future, but um, for now, my main focus is writing. I also act. Um, I also do some drawing. It's <laughs> not really theater-related. <laughs> but um, yeah, those are those are my two hats, um, mostly, in terms of... And, and I do um, non-theatrical writing as well. Now, what do you consider to be your specialty or your forte? Um, in terms of, of playwriting? 
Um, um, just, 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 just of all of the, the creative um, jobs that you've had or, or that you participate in? That's a good question. Um, I think I definitely always, um, in, in writing, I'm drawn towards, um, if it's not a play, then it's usually still pretty dialogue heavy. Um, I've, at this point in my, um, you know, budding career, <laughs> have mostly only written comedies. Um, and I, I think... That that feels like I don't I don't want to call it a strength, but um, that feels like my where I live um, sort of artistically. Um, but yeah, I think definitely something that I'm um, I'm I've been working on building is capturing a colloquial speech and dialogue and sort of weaving that into more heightened language as you saw the last um weird chunk of a play that I brought into the 72nd street gang was um sort of an iambic pentameter piece so um yeah I think those that feels like my the forte that I'm working on right now who knows it this all might be completely different a year from now well <laughs> well it, it feels like like um after having read that we've read uh two sections of it mm-hmm. and um and just hearing your your answer, it feels like you're you're looking to sort of blend different styles. I think um, yeah. it was, who is it? I, I was interviewing a, a, a lady who was a, a theater artistic director for musicals in Chicago on my last show. And I think she called it um, inter, inter-creative, inner creativity. She had a word for it, but it was taking all of those various um, uh sort of medias or if you are styles and then blending them together she said that's kind of a new thing sort of like 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 Hamilton with mm-hmm. with the, you know the hip hop on history yeah i think definitely that's something that has always attracted me um artistically sort of blending both the you know high and low um with very you know i, I think very subjective terms but um right. blending sort of high and low speech and um bringing sort of mythic classical themes and then mixing them in with a bunch of um, really dumb jokes is sort oh. of my, my passion in terms of, of writing. But uh, yeah, and I, I think that is sort of something that's becoming um, a little more popular in the theater right now, which is really exciting, um, especially, you know, shows like Hamilton, um, The Great Comet, a lot of sort of adaptations of, you know, high school literature and making them very modern, very fresh and finding new ways to talk about history and um, cultural mythology is that's something that's very exciting to me. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Cool. Excellent. Um... What messages and themes do you strive to convey to audiences through the pieces you choose to write? Oh, man. Um, I feel like I'm very much still trying to find my voice as um, a writer right now. Um, You know, I'm uh, the first 
I, the first full length piece I wrote, The Summoning, is very much about sort of um, leaving the bubble of college and coming up against quote unquote real life and um, figuring out who you are and what you want to do. So I think I'm still very much in that stage. But um, in terms of what messages I'm trying to bring across, I think definitely um, what we were just talking about blending different uh, time periods and different sort of modes and styles is something that I I try to look for um, universal themes that I can put in the language of, you know, sort of my generation and the present. And um, I, I think that's especially... You know, not to get too heavy, but now in this um, political nightmare scape that we're living in, um, it's, I think, important to look at, like, okay, what are the themes of justice and decency and equality that have kept us alive culturally under every, you know, um, not-so-great era, and sort of bringing those to the forefront and exploring... Um, yeah, just how, how we can apply those older stories to now. That's definitely um, something that I try to do. Whether or not that's uh, I'm effective in that is another story. But um, yeah, I think I think that, and, and of course, um, you know, being a young woman, everything I'm coming at is through a very feminist lens, um, which again, still figuring out what that means um, with everything that I write. But um, yeah, definitely trying to trying to, as all writers are, trying to say the things that only um, I could say for my particular life experience. Oh, I think you have a a very very clear voice, um, and that's I know that's hard to get to and establish for mm-hmm. writers. Or to, it, it's it's really just sort of identifying yourself as a writer and and and. and um, if I could ask you to identify your writer's voice with, say, three words, three adjectives, oh could you? <laughs> um, oh, that's hard. I, I guess probably a colloquial. Um, that is it. Is it too self-promoting um, if I say witty and? Um, <laughs> And uh, maybe hopeful. That's great. <laughs> I don't know. That's off, off the top of my head. I could um, do better if I had some time to, to write that out. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't the That's, question, one of the questions I issued in advance. <laughs> it wasn't prepared for <laughs> Right. But um, yeah, that's certainly what I'm going for, at least. I think that's really hard to, to <laughs> answer, even for yeah. myself as a writer. Uh, if somebody asked me, I, I would probably have to take a minute because we're in it. We are objectively not, you know, we're trying to put out the best product for, for the, the genre and the style. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think um, the the moment in my life when I realized I was it was going to take me a long time to be in any way objective about my writing was uh, senior year of high school. I wrote we had, you know, a student written uh, playwriting showcase at the end of the year. And I wrote a show and submitted it to my favorite teacher. And this was like I this was me writing a drama like I was like putting all of my like high school pain and everything into this play. And I turned it into my favorite teacher and I was like feeling really raw about it. And she saw me in the hallway after I turned it in and said, oh, your play was hilarious. (laughs) 
And I was just like, all right, well, she liked it. I mean, she didn't get what I wanted out of it. But yeah, so I think it's it's really hard, especially when you're still figuring out who you are as a writer to have any objectivity. Right. <laughs> Do you ever like go back to any of your older writing and um, and just look at it and go, oh, my God, Wow. Oh, yeah. No, I have, like, half a novel about um, a centaur on my computer from, like, eighth grade that I've I've brought out at a few moments to teach me hubris, um, but, uh, you know, to um, <laughs> teach me to always sort of uh, not take what I'm writing too seriously because in three years I'm going to look back and be like, <laughs> what was I thinking? <laughs> now, I that might be a harsh question to, <laughs> to ask, but I say that because one time Charlotte brought something into... Uh, the the writer's room and I read it and she's like, oh yeah, I didn't really have much so I, I just pulled this, this is something that I had laying around, I'm thinking about revisiting it and I was, I read it and I was like, oh my, why is, why is this sitting in a drawer? <laughs> you need to do something with this. Oh, I still have to do something with that one. <laughs> I haven't yet. Um, what do you think is an important theater, direction theater is taking right now? Um, can I answer this in two parts. You can um, answer it however you okay. like. Okay, uh, because uh, first of all, I think um, sort of something that you brought up discussing the um, Pulitzer a moment ago is that I think uh, right now there is a big focus on um, addressing sort of the modern world and responding to it with theater. Theater sort of as a response to our world and processing, um, uh, you know, life <laughs> as opposed to. Not that there's no value in simply entertaining, but um, I think to do both is an amazing use of the art form and especially bringing in a lot of um, voices that maybe haven't been heard as much in the theater. Previously, the focus on diversity and parity in theater right now, I think, is amazing and is... um, you know, it only only makes the art form better and gives uh, more people outlets to see themselves on stage and see stories about themselves and also see stories about people that they don't understand. I think it's really valuable to go to the theater and be like, uh, like you mentioned, um, Disgraced by um, I at Actor. I wrote it down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is posted here. Um, that's a show that I saw a couple years ago when I was on Broadway, and it just really floored me by bringing in a slightly different perspective than one I had ever um, considered myself in a life experience that I would never be able to know. And, you know, you mentioned Hamilton by my BFF, Lin-Manuel Miranda. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he, I'm sure he remembers that. He doesn't. Of course um, he does. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think, um, you know, which everyone's sick of it at this point because, like, all of our moms know all the lyrics and it's embarrassing. But <laughs> it, it's also, like, how wonderful I think the reason that it's blown up to this degree is that after many years of a substantial portion of people who care about theater not being able to see themselves represented in the theater suddenly see something that they can, they're they like, yeah, hey, that's a story that represents me. And I think so that's part one that I think is a, a great and important direction for theater to move in. And number two is, I mean, sort of related, but um, I think now the way that media works now, you know, we've got uh, Netflix and podcasts and a lot of sort of you choose what you listen to and when. It's not everyone in the country tuning into I Love Lucy or Friends at the same time on the same channel. It's very sort of... 
um, fractured and scattered, which is great in a lot of ways. You know, I, I want, I love my, my curated like Netflix recommends and all of my podcasts that like no one else in my life wants to listen to my, the like Star Trek podcast I'm listening to right now. Um, but it, I think it, it makes theater really important as a place where people can go to sort of have a collective live experience in, and experience art in a very public uh, format and also in a very contained format. Like you, once you're in the theater, you are trapped there and you cannot leave. Um, and you have to just sit and experience this art and not play Candy Crush through it, or at least you shouldn't. That's right. very that's very bad <laughs> yeah. um, audience form. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so I think a lot of the shows that I that I've have really struck me lately have really um, been things that could only work as plays. You know, um, not just adaptations of um, film brought to the stage, um, which, you know, can be great in their own way. But, um, yeah, I think that's something really particular that theater is sort of, uh, in the evolving media landscape, theater is finding <laughs> its, um, its niche as this very um, public collective art form, which is cool. You know, I, th- those are great answers, and I, I wanted to sort of throw out a follow-up question mm-hmm. that kind of uh, deals with this, but it's, it's more along the lines of coming from a theater family. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there's there's a, a generational, I don't want to say a divide, but there's differences. Sure. Um, is there something that, that you, is there a topic or a direction of theater that you feel differently about than your parents do? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I remember, like, uh, if you remember the, the musical Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson from oh, yeah. several years ago, uh-huh. the, the first uh, transfer from the public about a founding father, sort of, that <laughs> made it to Broadway. Right. Um, but, yeah, I remember seeing that and coming back and being like, this play changed my life. And, like, I told my parents they had to see it, and they saw it, and they were like, what? <laughs> um, which, you know, that tastes very, and that's very particular. But I think... Um, yeah, I think there are definitely moments like uh, like I was speaking to a couple of members of the 72nd Street game about um, Hamilton, for example, and I was like, wasn't it just like everything and it was just like your life? But on, And they were like, yeah, I don't know. It didn't really connect for us that way. So, yeah, I definitely think there are um, a few, which is kind of exciting to see, um, things that my generation can relate to being the center of attention on um, Broadway. But um, yeah, I think there there are definitely a few places where it diverges um, and where, you know, a, hip-hop might not necessarily be a music that my parents grew up with, mm-hmm. but you know, as someone born in the 90s, that was like very much a, a musical language of my childhood that I can um, recognize. So yeah, definitely, definitely a few generational divides, which I think is, you know, exciting and challenging. <laughs> well, well, um, David and I, my husband, David, um, we come from families that uh, they, 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 they support everything mm-hmm. that we do, but they're not a theater family. Mm-hmm. You know, they, um, they, they, they don't know, uh, I don't know if they really know what a Pulitzer Prize is, <laughs> but <laughs> they don't, I don't know if it's, you know, something that they would, uh, that they, they think would be issued for a play. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm actually quite curious as, as to the dynamic of your family. I think it's really interesting. Do you ever, has that ever flipped for you? 
um, have they ever said, oh, you should go see this, and then you go see it, and you're like, what were you thinking? <laughs> I mean, do you have that the reverse experience? Um, I, that's interesting. I don't think I've thought of that before, because I don't really think that's happened. I mean... I think usually the things that they recommend I go see are things that they know I would like. But also, um, I, I think we uh, we have more common ground than not. Mm-hmm. Like, um, a lot of dinner table discussions revolve around Shakespeare and Sondheim, which are, you know, you wouldn't love them. Um, but, yeah, I think we definitely... I, my tastes also tend to run a little um, more old-fashioned, as evidenced by my um, tribute play to the Aeneid in Iambic Pentameter. Um, but... <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't think so. I don't think I've often had the experience of... Um, I think sir, I've more had the experience of coming home from a play with my parents and they them saying, like, well, you know, this is what I got out of it, and me being like, oh, interesting, I had a different takeaway, ah. um, as opposed to them sending me to a play and me being like, this is an old person's play. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like from what you just said that it would, it would be the flip of that. <laughs> like, like you, that you'd send them to a play and they'd be like, this is an old person. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I, even my parents are like, okay, that's enough of your opinions about the Aeneid. Um, so that might just be personal taste. Um, aside from Hamilton, are there any particular shows uh, that you feel that are out there that exemplify this new vision of theater? It doesn't have to be in New York or on Broadway. If it's a show you've heard about, throughout America or um, in Europe or wherever. I actually have a friend who's doing um, Viet Gone at the uh, Mixed Blood Theater in Minneapolis. So ah. if you have any listeners in Minneapolis, go see him. He's awesome. Um, but, yeah, so I think um, th- that sort of feeds into the what we were just talking about, like different voices that weren't necessarily represented in mainstream theater 10 years ago, um, being a play about a love story, I believe, set in a, a Vietnamese refugee camp. Mm. Um, and ter- but the one that comes to mind for the... The other half of what I was saying, sort of um, theater that could only exist as theater and also sort of bringing in like um, blending mythology and history with sort of the modern world. Um, The Strange Undoing of Prudencia Hart I saw a few months ago at the McKittrick Hotel. I don't know if you know the show at all. Um, I've I've heard of it. I think I think through you. Oh really? <laughs> also, also be it gone as well. Uh, you, yeah. You you mentioned that and and that was always sold out. I could never get a ticket. I have not. I, yeah. Full disclosure. I have not been able to get a ticket yet. Um, so uh, my friend David should be able to fly me out to Minneapolis, but he can't. Right. Um, but, um, yeah. He's he's my friend in the show. But um, yeah, the stranger doing Fernandia Hart was, was um, this very sort of. You know, there was no stage. It was actors wandering around sort of a bar set up, and it was almost all in verse, and it was um, sort of using the format of Scottish border ballads um, to tell the story of this uh, young uh, woman academic going to a bar with one of her colleagues and mm-hmm. um, and sort of bringing in more overtly mythological themes. I don't want to spoil the show in case anyone goes to see it if it's running somewhere, but um, I think it's closed to the McKittrick now. 
But um, yeah, and like, you know, that show, it had opened with, um, they had a few members of the company came around and asked everyone to tear up their napkins um, during the pre-show. And then when the show started, they said, you know, it was snowing in Scotland and had everyone throw up their ripped up napkins to create snow. And it was just very, in general, I'm very anti-audience participation. Right. Like, I d- like, don't touch me. I came yeah. to the theater to sit and watch you. But, um, you know, that sort of really using theatricality in a way that makes it a, a once in a lifetime, the only an experience that you could have with live theater was really, really cool. And just the way that they interwove um, history and sort of like, you know, uh, karaoke was, right. um, was very something that really um, spoke to me. Now, the McKittrick Hotel, isn't that where they had... Um is it Sleep No More? Yeah. Sleep No More. Sleep and then, and then, did they run uh, the, the, one of the versions of Natasha Pierre at the McKittrick as well in one of their bars or restaurants? Maybe. Um, this was in one of the bar spaces. So, yeah, that, that, I believe that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's true, but that sounds right. Yeah, I, I, I think so. Um, yeah, it's funny because I, it, it feels like all of, not all of, but the majority of my playwright friends, mm-hmm. they like the fourth wall. They don't want our <laughs> audience participation. I know that, I mean, I'm one of those people for some reason, I am always picked out of an audience to do something, <laughs> and, and I try to be a good sport about mm-hmm. it. But, um, yeah, I like the fourth wall, too. Yeah, the fourth uh, wall is important to me. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and um, uh, so... Now, now this is this sounds like interactive theater, and you're saying they did it in a way that was comfortable for you. Yeah, um, the the interactions were pretty much limited to the snow moment and a couple of moments where you know an actor would um, you know get up on an audience member's table or uh-huh. um, ask someone to scooch out of the way. It wasn't it wasn't sort of like and what's your name and where are you from? Um, it it really sort of just. It treated the audience as though they were there. It didn't ignore them, but it also didn't ask them to, like, become actors in the show, which I thought was a good... It it walked the line very well, because I don't love it when the whole show grinds to a halt and we have to, like, you know, um, listen to someone in the audience being uncomfortable. (laughs) I just get, you know, secondhand embarrassment from that. But... um, uh, yeah, it it was really it really walked the line in an interesting way that made it definitive. Like this is a a play that's happening. We're not ignoring that fact, but also, yeah, this is a this is not an improv piece. You know, no shade to improv, um, but yeah, it, it it blended it very well. Um, I don't know if you've uh, heard of a play that happened, God, back in the eighties in L.A. It was called mm-hmm. uh, Tamara. And I don't, uh, so. I don't know if it was Tamara or Tamara. I think it was Tamara. Mm. Um, I had a friend who was in it, and for probably about five years, they rented out this mansion um, that was up by the Hollywood Bowl, and they did one of those plays that, that I think is like Sleep No More, where you mm-hmm. go to various rooms yeah. and pick up different scenes, and then they they put out a dinner buffet and all this um, and all of that. And now, of course, we go to you know um, Tony and Tina's wedding, mm-hmm. and um, which you know. They're fun, 
<laughs> but I, like I said, my, my my more artistic friends, for some reason, ironically, I guess, if that's a proper use of it, <laughs> don't want to participate in that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whereas I think we took, David and I took um, his parents to see Tony and Tina's wedding in Las Vegas. Oh, yeah. And they loved it. They were, they were, you know, D- David and I are over in the corner kind of cowering as the, art- <laughs> as the artists. And they're up there dancing and having fun. And it was... <laughs> Okay. um, That's funny. What do you think is the best part of being involved with smaller productions? Oh, man. Um, It definitely, as a playwright actor, it's there's something very attractive of just being like, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to act in this, too. Um, (laughs) You know, having the ability to wear multiple hats, having that much control about it, sort of there is, um, you know, I, I think every theater person really fears and loves that forced camaraderie you get when everything is going wrong and you just have to like pull together and do the show. Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot, a lot to be gained in terms of like, you're able to present with the limits of funds and space and time. Um, you're able to present exactly your vision and you're really able to sort of, um, especially as, Playwrights have a very confusing amount of power, I think, depending on what level of theater you're doing, where the playwright can have, like, the last word on everything or it can feel like the play is being, like, taken away and uh, given to other people to raise. Um, So, yeah, I think as a playwright, especially someone who's starting out, there's something really exciting about being able to try things out and really realize your vision to the best of your ability and then being able to say, like, okay, well, this worked, this didn't work, Mm -hmm. we can do it again. Um, Yeah, and also just uh, talking about semi-interactive theater, the intimacy you have with the audience in just, like, a physically smaller space is something that's really exciting and can really, um, you know, bring good art to life. Oh, cool. Very cool. Um, what should every theatrical artist, director, writer, composer, actor, be doing right now to be relevant and successful in theater? I, I wish I had a succinct answer to this question that everyone could just do this one thing and be successful and relevant. But um, I think definitely listening to others, as much as that sounds very kindergarten level. But um, It's very smart. <laughs> on the one, I mean, just on a, like day-to-day basis of theater is by its nature collaborative. I'm actually, um, I'm cheating on the 72nd Street gang with another um, small writers group that <gasps> I've been to a couple times called um, Moms Insurance. It's um, it's all under 26-year-old playwrights. Oh, um, cool. Yeah. And Moms I, Insurance. Moms I just insurance, got it. Yeah. Okay, that's great. Yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I, I've been to that group a couple of times. I have some friends in it. Um, and they, it's really interesting because, um, seeing them versus the 72nd street gang, which everyone in the 72nd street gang has a lot more experience doing professional theater. Um, and both groups have, you know, their, their different strengths, but definitely with the younger people, there's a, a, a stronger sense of wanting to control every single aspect and wanting like, being afraid of actors making choices and wanting um, sort of to come in with this auteurship 
um, view on playwriting and directing. And it's theater is always going to be collaborative, even if you're doing a one person show, like there's someone in the booth pressing lights up and lights down. Like there's, sure, absolutely. there's always more. So just on a like personal level, listening to other people, but also on a, on a broader industry level, I think uh, what we were talking about earlier, sort of not being afraid of welcoming in different voices and um, not being afraid of the scene changing um, and sort of newer, both newer forms in terms of like forms of art and like newer plays in terms of like different people being at the helm, I think. Um, yeah, if I had to pick one, one thing for everyone to do, <laughs> that would be it. Um, do you think it's, it's more difficult for the people who are in um, your group of younger writers? Is, is it a little... Is it a little bit more difficult for them to adjust to taking criticism? Um, it's it, the group is a very different format of Seventy Second Street Gang. Uh-huh. It, so it actually there is like a lot less. It's less feedback focused and oh. more focused on the the writer being able to hear their own stuff and like go home and process it. Which actually, I'm a person who likes feedback a lot like I want everyone to talk to me about my play forever um (laughs) that that's something that really helps me because if I just listen to it I'm like yeah good what I wrote is sounds normal Um, and I I like having the outside ear a lot so yeah I think there is I don't know if I would call it a I, I also um my major in college was essentially a major in workshopping um in terms of writing and essentially a major in being able to take criticism effectively and give criticism in a like helpful way. Um, So I think those are like skills that you learn over years, which is something that I think a lot of people don't realize at first, which is, I mean, I think everyone in in the mom's insurance group is lovely and talented and really um, exciting to work with, but definitely the focus is a little less on the feedback process. Um, Yeah. I think those are, those are things that you can only learn by just like doing five solid years worth of workshops. Right. <laughs> well, in my in my experience, uh, it's it's less has to do with the actual age of the artist, as as you said, mm-hmm. how long they've been doing it. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, it it takes a while to sort of um, uh, to to build up that acceptance. Mm-hmm. Of what you're hearing, um, and, and then you get to a point, or at least I did, where I'm like, "You're telling me nice things about this, and I don't believe you." <laughs> I, I, I don't tell me. I, I always tell David, "I want to hear the conversation in the car <laughs> afterwards, <laughs> or or out here in yeah. New York." It's you know, and uh, I want to hear. Block rule. Yeah, yeah. Well, we we have the four block rules, so. oh. <laughs> but you're probably a lot you're smarter. You're playing with fire. I know, right? <laughs> Um, where I'm, I'm like, I, if I don't hear anything negative, I think I had a, a friend of mine after we did a reading of a, of a, um, uh, shoot, what was it? A podcast, not a podcast, uh, a webisode series that oh, I wrote cool. was like, Sean, sometimes you're just going to have to accept the fact that people like what you're writing and they don't have anything negative to say about <laughs> it. And I'm like, no, 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 that kind of thing. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That can't happen totally. <laughs> um, so, so I hear you. Um, yeah. Uh, now, before we wrap up, can I do sure. a little speed round of questions sure. with you? Okay, yeah. cool. All right. You ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. What's your favorite play? Oh, God. This is not a speed round. This is hard. Okay. Um, uh, I really love Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, um, and I uh, really love Hamlet. That's, okay. That's such a pretentious answer, but v- there you go. No, no. There, that's, that's great. Um, favorite musical? Uh, um, you can give two if you want. Just two? Okay. Or three. <laughs> I mean, Into the Woods, obviously, because I'm not a monster. Um, <laughs> I really love Sondheim's The Frogs, which no one's ever heard of. Look it up. You probably will be like, why do you like this? Um, and and um, Les Mis, I'm basic. What can I say? Oh, now. <laughs> Actually, the, the lady that I just interviewed before, she's she loves Les Mis. Oh, yeah. And and I had to say, don't don't tell Leo that's my co-writer, as you know, on my musicals, because he doesn't like Les Mis. But. I, see, that's when I can fully accept if you don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> that's I, fine. <laughs> I love it. I remember the first time we saw it, uh, we were much younger and, like, broke, and David got his tickets in Nosebleed mm-hmm. at the Orange County Performing Arts Center Theater, which is gigantic. Gigantic, and so all I remembered from that first production was like, "I dreamed a dream," and <laughs> and um, what's the other big number? Um, Bring him home, mm-hmm. and the one that um, Eponine sings on my own. Thank oh, you. Yeah. Um, how? Okay. I'm a monster, obviously, because I didn't remember that. Um, and and then I was like, "Oh yeah, it's nice." And then we took his parents to see it in London instead of the orchestra, and I was like, "This is a whole other thing. <laughs> it's very engaging." Yeah, and also I think that's got some real universal themes about sure. humanity. I, my dad's a huge Victor Hugo nut, and it must be genetic because, um, yeah, <laughs> I love Victor Hugo. Cool. Um, do you have a favorite writer? Playwriter specifically? Sure. Um, <laughs> okay, uh, I, I love Sarah Rule a lot. I really like Mary Zimmerman's adaptive stuff. I'm a big Shakespeare nerd. Um Edward Albee, obviously, because I said he's afraid of Virginia Woolf. Um, I mean, Sondheim's a composer, but, you know, there's no Sondheim that I don't like. Um, yeah. <laughs> Composers are writers. Um, yeah, that's true. Still still a creative. Um, yeah. Cool. Those are some you, top few. Favorite director? Oh, um, I don't know. I'm embarrassingly, I don't um, know a ton of theater directors off the top of my head. I mean. What um, about a film director? I, Oh, uh, probably Terry Gilliam. Um, but uh, at theater directors, I'll say my uh, family friend Jen Thompson because she's awesome. Oh, she's so good. <laughs> yeah, she's the best ever. Oh my gosh! Yeah, she is. Uh, well, we just saw she just directed Jeff Talbot's play, mm-hmm. Ken's husband's play. And it was beautiful. It was so good. And I don't know if you ever saw her show Women Without Men. Yeah, I did. Oh my god, I, I love yeah, that. So good. Oh yeah. my gosh, she's. she's She's awesome. Yeah, she's she's a tremendous talent. As as is Owen. Oh yeah. Who was her brother, right? Yep. Which I by the way, I just put that together like <laughs> I'm real quick. <laughs> yeah, I um when I was growing up, my mom did a lot of shows at a River Rep, which was their family's theater company. Oh, cool. 
So that's, yeah, I know them of old. And and very, very nice people, too. Wonderful. Yeah, wonderful family. Okay. And do you have a mentor? mentor? Sorry. Mentor? Um, I don't know. I mean, definitely, like, Ken invited me, Ken Jones invited me into this group on the basis of me being like, I'm a young person. Here's a play I wrote. Um, and he's been super supportive and wonderful. And also, he is just, like, blowing up right now. Like oh, he's, right? I yeah. think there are seven regional productions of his play, Alabama Story, going on right now. Oh yeah. Because he's a boss. Um, yeah, so he's, you know, been someone who's a very positive um, reinforcement and, yeah. Yeah, he's a great guy, as, as is his husband, Jeff, who we yes, just talked about. Yes, he's a fabulous playwright. Yeah, and incredible. Um, okay, why don't you tell us uh, what you're working on lately? I know we discussed a little bit up, in, up front in front of the show, but let's remind everybody and, and yeah. tell us about everything. Definitely. Um, well, to reiterate, The Summoning is a little play that I wrote that I am going, it's going to be going up this summer at She NYC Festival. Um, but it's, that's run by We Broadway, formerly Works by Women Festival, but I think they had to change the name because there were too many WWFs in the world. <laughs> um, which is too bad because I really like being like, yeah, WWF is doing my show. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm super psyched about that. It's me and um, eight other plays, or my plan, eight other plays by young women and it's a super exciting opportunity and I don't have a firm performance date yet but um that's my next big project um yeah also with Fat Night Theater again night with a k theater with an r e is uh, my family's it is important yes it's my family's theater company we have um another couple productions of Chip and Gus which is a play written by my dad who's also a fabulous playwright as well as Sean and all the other people we've mentioned Um, (laughs) (laughs) um and um we're also doing a reading of um, a play by Peter Peter Felicia called Adam's Gifts um, next week, two weeks from now. I don't have any dates in front of me. That's okay. But, um, That's right. Yeah, and um, in terms of uh, what I'm writing next, I've been um, sort of in the early stages of working on another couple of plays, so I don't have any, like, dates to announce for those, <laughs> but... Um, yeah. Well, that's why I'm going to ask you the next question, which mm-hmm. is to give out all your social media information where they Great. can go to find out those <laughs> dates once they're set. Yeah. Um, I'm on Twitter. I need to tweet more, but I'm on Twitter at, at Charlotte Aline. My last name is A-H-L-I-N. My first name is Charlotte, like the spider. Um, also, my website is charlottealine.com just my name.com and I theoretically post all the updates on the things I'm doing there. Um, yeah. And you can also check out fatnighttheater.org um, for updates on the theater company. There'll be info about the summoning once we get our <laughs> performance dates this summer there. Now, is there one particular address where everyone can connect to everything else? Yeah. If you go to charlottealine.com, um, A-H-L-I-N again. Right. Yeah, that'll have all of the links to all of the things. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's excellent. Okay, well, you have been a tremendous guest. So Thank insightful. You. Thank you for doing this uh, and, and and for coming out here doing a live interview. Yeah, thank you for having which me. Which is great. Oh, my God, it's been great. You, you've been wonderful, This has Charlotte. been awesome. Will you come back? 
Yeah, of course. Okay, good. I put everybody on the spot when I ask them that question. It's like, what am I going to say? Yeah, I'd love to. Who doesn't want to talk about theater and themselves? (laughs) Well, as as playwrights, we don't don't get the chance that, say, actors do. No shade to actors. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Um, At the end of each show, I like to give a shout-out to current productions that I recommend. And on tonight's show, I'm going to sort of step out of the norm. Typically, I will recommend a smaller show that's... um, like Off-Broadway or Regional or something along those lines. Um, but on tonight's show, I would like to recommend a show uh, called A Doll's House Part 2. It's by a, a young playwright named Lucas Hanath, H-N-A-T-H. Um, it's a sequel of sorts to Onrick Ibsen's The Doll House, which is about a lady named Nora who becomes frustrated with her life, has an epiphany, and leaves her husband and children to go find herself. A very um, controversial play when it was written way back when. Um, it's it was this play, A Doll's House Part Two, is so excellent. It has it imagines Nora returning fifteen years later after leaving to take care of some very critical business involving her husband. I'm not going to tell you what it is because I want you to see the show, but um, it's 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 really interesting the way it all plays out. Um, the play stars. Lori Metcalf, who is an Emmy uh, winner for the TV show Roseanne. She played Jackie and Roseanne for years. Also, she plays Sheldon's mom brilliantly on Big Bang Theory. Um, and then also Chris Cooper, who is an Oscar winner for Adaptation um, and was in the film version of August Osage County. He's a great actor. Jane Howdy Shell, who recently won a Tony Award for The Humans. And a, um, a young actress named Condola Rashad. I last saw her in a trip to Bountiful with Cicely Tyson, uh, and she was so good. And I, I know she does Shakespeare as well. She's just a, a brilliant young talent and she's just great. Um, directed by Sam Gold, who won a Tony Award for Fun Home. I'm going to predict that this is going to win a Tony Award for Best Play. I just thought it was so, so, so good. Um, the last play that I saw by Lucas Hanath was an incredible off-Broadway work called The Christians, and it's about church culture. And it was just it's, it said so many great things about religion and the culture in the church and hypocrisy and just wonderful. Uh, he also wrote a play called uh, Red Speedo, which was off-Broadway out here. Um, I think it was last year, and it was very successful. That's another one of those where it's like, go see it, and then I couldn't get a ticket. So, And I'll buy full-price tickets. I'm just, I'm just saying. <laughs> um, Hanath's writer's voice is one of meditation, uh, of, of character self-analysis. The characters seem to mentally be asking themselves probing questions about their life path with sort of hilarious, well, very hilarious and heartfelt results that often surprise the characters themselves as well as the audience. It's just a really cool thing to watch that happen. Um, He's a writing force to be witnessed, and this is his Broadway debut. Um, When I saw Doll's House Part 2, there were empty seats, and this should not be. Um, this theater should be f- filled because of these performances and this brilliant writing. Um, uh, Lucas Hanath has, has paid his dues um, with his climb through levels of theater, and there are levels of theater that we talk about here and hope to honor on your program is your ticket. And I would have never had the privilege of seeing his work had he not made that progression, which is a wonderful aspect of putting a focus on smaller works because then all of a sudden here's this great talent making his big Broadway debut and you're like, wow, okay, 
would have never known. So this is a no-brainer. Just go see it. Um, even if it's on an eventual level, like I said earlier, where it goes, it closes off Broadway and then local productions do it, it's still, it's, it's great writing. Again, it's A Doll's House Part 2. It's playing at the John Golden Theater out here in New York City. It closes on July 23rd. That's according to IBDB. Maybe it'll be extended. I don't know. So there you go. Well, folks, the proverbial 11 o'clock number has been sung and the vows have been taken, so it's time to lower the curtain. I'd like to thank my guest, the brilliant Charlotte Aline. She was so, so charming. Um, if you'd like for me to give you a shout-out to a show in your area or a mention of your organization, please go to my Facebook page at facebook.com backslash your program is your ticket. Give me a like and shoot me a message. I'll be happy. I'll be happy to give you the mention. Folks, take a little time to see a show this week, and don't forget to give a smaller show some love. There's a lot of great theater gems out there. Until our next show, good night, theater people, and curtain. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.